It is so delightful to have this privilege to serve you, to sit here now just looking out and seeing your faces and feeling the kind of collective momentum of practice that's in the room. The other night, I explored the topic of delusion for a good part of the talk. And tonight I'd like to explore kind of the other side, that quality of mind that we are cultivating here with the practice of Satipatthana. the quality that dispels delusion, the quality that really does the work of letting go. And that is wisdom. Whether you know it or not, whether you feel it or not, Wisdom is growing in you. And uh, one of my teachers, Sayadaw Tejaniya, says that the whole purpose of our practice is to cultivate this quality of wisdom because it is wisdom that frees the mind. Sometimes it, you know, we f- might feel like we do something that allows us to let go But what we're exploring here are practices that support a perspective of mindfulness that creates the conditions for wisdom to blossom. When I first started practicing with Sairo Utejaniya, he used this word wisdom a lot. And at one point he, he said to me, notice when wisdom is happening. And I thought, how do I do that? What does that even mean? And um, over the course of my time with him, I've developed an understanding through experience of what it means when wisdom is working. He would say, what does it mean for wisdom to be at work? And so this, this, uh, this talk has really grown out of that exploration. And so I'd like to talk about wisdom in a very practical way tonight. Point to ways that you may already be experiencing this quality. Seeing its growth, seeing its blossoming. The word wisdom perhaps has um, some connotations in our language that may not necessarily connect with what it means in this sense of panya, the Buddhist word that's usually trans, the Pali word usually translated as wisdom. We can have knowledge and wisdom about many, many things in our lives. But the wisdom of the Buddha, the wisdom that the Buddha was pointing to the wisdom that frees our mind is a particular kind of wisdom. 
It's related to dukkha. It's related to how we suffer, why we suffer. So the understanding that we're cultivating here is the understanding around suffering. And so this points to one of the great teachings from Joseph Goldstein. I love this one. He says, we, he, we, we want to understand dukkha. We want wisdom in dukkha, about dukkha, without experiencing dukkha. And it doesn't work that way. So it's not a mistake in your practice if you're meeting dukkha. That's where wisdom grows. When I first thought about this word wisdom, I thought of it as something really like grand, big. And I kind of thought, well, if I work practice really hard, if I, you know, really pay attention to my experience, maybe someday I'll have that big bang wisdom and then I'll be, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be like, you know, floating down, I'll be floating down the, the streets and people will know that, oh, she's enlightened or something, you know, so some silly image like that, you know, that, that that's what wisdom was, some big bang kind of uh, experience. And yet what we come to understand with this practice is that there's an incremental development of wisdom and we can begin to recognize this incremental development and take some confidence in that, recognizing, oh, this is wisdom. And that's what Sayadaw pointed me to, noticing when there's wisdom in the mind. There's some kind of classic definitions of wisdom in the Pali canon. The most common, perhaps, we could say, or most um, cited definition of what it means to have wisdom is to understand the Four Noble Truths. This is not an intellectual understanding, but a, a deep practice understanding that understanding of the Four Noble Truths that frees the mind. Understanding suffering, understanding that suffering arises, understanding that it's possible for suffering to cease, and understanding that there's a path of practice leading to the cessation of suffering. There's some other definitions of wisdom. I'll just mention these also or other things about the practice of kinds of wisdom that relate to this waking up and freedom. And embedded, you know, kind of embedded in the Four Noble Truths is a an understanding that there's certain actions of mind, certain, let's say, qualities of mind that will keep us caught in suffering and certain qualities of mind that will begin to loosen the clinging and craving, loosen, loosen suffering. And an understanding of which states, those states that are kind of keeping us caught in suffering those are, those are often called unwholesome, unskillful states. Those states that help to move us in the direction of freedom, that those are wholesome, skillful states. And that the path of practice can also be understood as 
as expressed in the Eightfold Path of wise effort, finding ways to let go, exploring letting go, abandoning of the unwholesome states and exploring the cultivation of the wholesome states. And that when we act, when we follow through, let's say, when we follow through on a mind that is filled with the wholesome qualities of mind, it leads us towards more and more freedom, more and more happiness. If we follow through on those states of mind that are connected to greed, aversion, delusion, those unwholesome states of mind, if we follow through on those, then that will create the conditions for us to suffer more. And so a very simple kind of understanding about what qualities of mind are helpful to cultivate and what qualities of mind are not so helpful to cultivate. And so this too is a kind of an expression of wisdom in the Buddhist teaching. And also connected to that is an understanding that that uh, expression that, the, that acting on these wholesome states will lead in a certain direction, following through on unwholesome states will lead in another direction, is kind of an expression of the lawfulness of the way our experience unfolds. Anushka talked about this lawful quality to our experience and coming into alignment with this lawfulness helps us to relax. When we're fighting that lawfulness, we struggle. So there are these kind of, what what we, we can think of as almost intellectual definitions of wisdom that we can talk about We can talk about cause and effect. We can talk about conditioned nature of experience. We can talk about greed, aversion, and delusion and acting on those leading to to suffering. And we can then start to explore this in our experience and start to find the truth or, or know that it's not just a good idea, but that our practice, our experience begins to bear these out, these teachings. And so the, there's an understanding of wisdom as having multiple levels to it. What we could call the first level of wisdom is the level where we hear information. We take in teachings of the Dharma. This is called sutta maya panya. Sutta meaning hearing and the panya part meaning wisdom, the wisdom connected with hearing information, hearing the Dharma. This is what we're doing here together. Sharing the teachings, kind of orienting the mind in the direction of you know, even very simply just orienting the mind in the direction of noticing with mindfulness that experience is simply an arising in the present moment. The practices that we are exploring here, and there's all of the, the teaching that we're doing, but the simplicity of the practices already kind of embed a perspective that encourages us to move in the direction of wisdom. That simple practice of notice in this moment what's present and know it as something that's present. A thought arising in the present moment. Knowing it as a thought arising in the present moment as opposed to believing, I mean, we will, we will believe our thoughts, we will kind of follow through on thoughts, but there's, the, there's a, a big difference between blindly following through on a thought because we take it to be, to have a reality, and between understanding that a thought is an arising in the present moment and then being able to have some discernment 
on whether it's a useful thought or an unuseful thought. Huge difference there. And that very, that very simple practice around thoughts, around mind states, around bodily experience, right there, it, it, that practice includes a direction that heads us towards the cultivation of wisdom. Because we are curious about our minds, curious about what's going on in here, rather than simply kind of blindly reacting to what's going on. So there's this hearing the teachings and then beginning to put them into practice. This is a second level of wisdom. It's called Chintamayapanya, the wisdom related to or connected to reflection. or thinking about. So we hear the teachings. You know, we, we take them in. This practice would never start. The, the likelihood that you ever would have discovered something in this direction without having heard something first is so small. And so the condition of your hearing the teaching already it kind of puts you on the path. That's a condition. You know, think back. How did you hear about this in the first place? You know, for me, it was somebody sent me a book. I was suffering. And somebody said, hey, do you mind if I send you a book about something I've been finding really useful? That was a condition that entered this mind stream and altered the course of my life. I'm forever grateful to that friend who sent me that book was just the right medicine at the right time. So we hear the teachings. We take them in then and start reflecting about them. Does this make sense? Is this something to engage in? Because these teachings, the, these, the, the invitation of these teachings is not simply to sit there and learn all the lists and memorize all of the different factors of the Eightfold Path and be able to give a Dharma talk on the 12 parts of dependent origination. That's not what this teaching points to. The teaching points to come and see. Try it for yourself. Engage. And so that the, the first place of that is is in reflecting about what you've heard. Is this something that makes sense to me? Sometimes in my own experience when I got that book, you know, I, actually it was interesting. I didn't understand very much of the book when I first read it. And the book that sometimes people ask, it, the book that the person sent me was Everyday Zen by Joko Beck. My first real entry into the Dharma through that book. And I read the book and a lot of it didn't make a lot of sense and I didn't, was not interested in meditating. She talked a lot about meditating in that book and I thought, I don't know, my friend's gone off the deep end here, you know. <laughs> she talked about like going on day-long retreats and meditating for a whole day. <laughs> I was sure she was in a cult of some kind. <laughs> so, so I, you know, I didn't really trust in some way the meditation side, but fortunately the book really was also exploring and interested in looking at, well, why does your mind do what it does? And that I was interested in because I felt like I'd hit bottom in my life. So much reactivity, so much just being whipped around by my mind states, I would find myself just frozen in front of my computer, unable to function. So really... Um, pretty strong states of mind that were uncontrollable. And the one bit of wisdom that I pulled out of that book that actually didn't make any sense to me at the time was try knowing that a mind, knowing that a mind state is, so knowing that anger is arising and being aware of what that feels like. 
Just be aware that that is happening. Know what, that, what, know what that's like. And I read that and I thought, what good is that going to do? Be aware of my anger. Isn't that just going to make it worse? But, you know, in this case, you know, I heard this teaching and for myself, I had hit, hit bottom around, you know, I was like nothing else I had tried would, had worked. And so it was kind of like, okay, you know, my friend says this works. This book says it's a good idea. I have no idea how it's going to work, but I'm willing to try. And so even that little bit of, you know, taking in the information and saying, okay, I'll try this. That's what set me on the path, that willingness to try. So hearing the information and then starting to engage, starting to explore, actually begin to practice with the teachings. So that's the second kind of wisdom. We start to uh, pick up the, the, the tools of the practice and apply them to our experience. So this Chintamaya Panya can be uh, kind of in this terrain of willingness to engage and just beginning to explore the practice. And it also can be in, in, uh, in the case of all of us here having done quite a bit of practice, this Chintamaya Panya also can serve us, this, this wisdom of reflection can also serve us all, a lot of times on our path, on a lot of times on our practice. We can use Dharma reflection as a skillful means. Use Dharma wisdom if we feel at times that um, we're struggling or caught, confused, and yet we have enough presence of mind to recognize that. It's like we're, we're caught in the midst of something. We can sometimes bring in some wisdom. Some of the classic forms of wisdom that can support us in this way as a reflection, actually dropping it into the mind. This is impermanent when you're caught in a, in a kind of a storm, just reminding yourself, right, this is impermanent. Or this is, un- you know, this is unreliable. Or this is nature. That's one of my favorite wisdom reflections to drop in from Saito Utejaniya again. He uses this one a lot. And to me, as he talked about this reflection. You know, oh, it's all just nature. To me, what that began to point to was the understanding or the reflection. Everything that's happening right now is just conditions tumbling on. You know, a tree grows because an acorn has fallen on the ground and the conditions have been right for that acorn to not be eaten by a squirrel or rotting out because it's gotten too much rain. Just right, just the conditions, just right. That acorn has the nature to become an oak tree, but it won't necessarily become that oak tree unless the conditions, there are other conditions that are necessary. It needs to have soil and water and um, be protected from animals that want to eat the shoots or just be lucky to not be eaten by an animal. So there, it's just conditions. It's conditions coming together for this tree to grow. And whatever mind state is arising in this moment, whatever experience is arising in this moment, sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, states of mind, whatever is arising in this moment is conditioned. That being caught frozen by anger in front of my computer, that was conditioned. 
I had practiced anger so much in my life. So the, uh, the reflection, this is nature, to me brings that whole understanding of almost like, of course this is what's happening. These are the conditions that are unfolding. These are the conditions that are ripening in this moment. And just reminding, you know, reminding oneself that the conditions that are unfolding are not self. They may create a feeling of self in that moment, but in and of themselves they are just unfolding. And so that reminder, this is nature. I used that reflection a lot when I was practicing in Burma. So helpful. So we can bring in wisdom reflections. Sometimes we have our own understandings. Uh, And in talking with you, all of you have had a lot of understandings that have been developing. And sometimes if we can kind of articulate our understanding to ourselves, and just that, that a simple, um, you know, oh, it's, it's, it's helpful to just notice this is what's arising right now. It's just this, just this. If we can find our own way to articulate the wisdom that we have known, I think I said the other day that, you know, delusion falls away sometimes. And when delusion falls away, wisdom is present. And then conditions change and delusion re-arises. Wisdom diminishes. And so that this, this quality of wisdom is a conditioned phenomenon too. It's a conditioned mind state. It comes and goes. And so when wisdom is present, and I'm going to talk in a few minutes about different ways we might experience that, this third kind of wisdom of bhavanamaya panya, the third level of wisdom that's referred to in the Pali Canon, the wisdom of insight, the wisdom of direct understanding. That wisdom of direct understanding comes and goes. But when it's not there, you know, it's kind of amazing sometimes. You know, it's like we see something so clearly and it's just, it's, it's like it's so obvious. How can I not see this? And it's like, wow. And when, and when you're in that space of seeing that wisdom, it is so obvious and so clear. It's like the mind just cannot even fathom not understanding that because it's so obvious. And yet, the nature of this delusion is that the delusion comes back, the wisdom diminishes, and then it's like, what was it? What was it that I thought I knew? And I guess maybe it wasn't so obvious after all. (laughs) So sometimes the, um, you know, when the wisdom falls away, you know, one of the tricks there, or one of the kind of things we have to encourage ourselves about is to not doubt that that wisdom was present. To not doubt that we had that experience. But to understand, if we can understand these cycles of wisdom appearing and falling apart, delusion arising, delusion passing away, if we can understand this as cycles, then we can, rather than having, feeling like we've done something wrong or made a mistake when wisdom goes away, we can draw on that wisdom in this way of reflecting. It's like, oh, I understood. It was all conditioned. It was all just nature, just things tumbling on. And as we're seeing, feeling ourselves all caught in these conditions, we can just remind ourselves, okay, that was an understanding. It's just conditioned. Sometimes if we bring those thoughts in, those dharma understandings into our minds 
it can create a little bit of space for the mind to be a little bit less reactive about that presence of delusion again, the presence of that reactive mind state. So I encourage this uh, use of wisdom, consciously, consciously using wisdom to support a uh, kind of a, a relaxing with whatever is whatever you might be struggling with. So this third kind of wisdom, bhavana maya panya, wisdom at work in the mind. This is when we, we when wisdom is arising and there's a direct experiential understanding of something. There are so many ways that this happens. And I'm just going to describe some of them that I've experienced. You may recognize some of these. And this is part of my hope that you recognize these descriptions, some of them at least, and recognize that wisdom is already taking root, already growing. So I think one of the first kinds of wisdoms to appear is um, when we, through this curiosity, this practice of mindfulness, of just what is this right now? What is the experience? What is the human experience of frustration arising? What is the human experience of wanting arising as we start to just turn and and meet that experience with mindfulness? One of the shifts we can see is a dropping of resistance to a state in which we've had some reactivity to. So frustration, we don't like frustration. We don't want it to go away. It doesn't feel good. Frustration's unpleasant Vedana. We tend to not like unpleasant Vedana and so we resist it. But as we turn to it, we recognize, oh, there's frustration and resistance. We might start to see, oh, it's just frustration. And whew, there's some space. A little bit of space, and it's kind of like, wow. It's not a problem, it's just frustration. So that, that feeling of, oh, this is just, this is just some state of mind. That's wisdom at work. Wisdom actually allowing the release of the resistance to open to, ah, oh, this is what's happening. Or even it might, be, it might also be, oh, there's frustration and there's resistance. And, oh, that's what's happening. There's frustration and I don't like it. Ah, oh, that's what's happening. So again, some space around it. So that feeling of a sense of space. I sometimes liken this to um, you know, if you're if if you're in a car that's going really fast, you're 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 in the driver's seat and you've got your foot on the gas pedal. You're going like you know really fast down the freeway, and, and that kind of momentum of going fast is what our minds do as they're caught in some state. And if we want to slow down, one of the most kind of organic ways that we can slow down in the car, especially if we're on a freeway, you know, we're on a freeway, we've got other people going around us, right? You know, all these other cars on the freeway. If we slammed our foot on the brake, somebody's going to slam into us from behind. A safer way, perhaps, to slow down might be to just take your foot off the gas pedal, put the car into neutral, and, and then steer, hopefully steer the car and come to a stop. So sometimes this kind of wisdom functions, it's kind of like it puts the mind into neutral. It's like instead of having the foot on the, the gas pedal of that, the momentum of that frustration and like the, the gas pedal is like all the thoughts about that frustration. It's like, yeah, that person shouldn't have done that and they really, I better figure out how to tell them what to do and why they need to do it that way and not that way. And all of those thoughts is like the gas pedal. 
and we can recognize, step back and know, ah, this, this experience here and now, this is frustration. Taking the foot off the gas pedal. That experience of frustration, or whatever you're observing, isn't just going to come to a stop. Like taking your foot off the gas pedal. But if you don't keep putting your foot back on the gas pedal, it will come to a stop. Just kind of watching the momentum. With this is just, the wisdom of this is just can witness a pattern. Kind of weaken, slowly fall apart. And maybe even end. Another a kind of wisdom that we might experience is when we really begin to get that something that's arising, something happening, a thought, is just a thought that's happening in the present moment. You know that many of our thoughts, I think as um, Philip mentioned last night and this morning about thoughts relating to past and future, and the difference between recognizing a thought as a, just a thought, I mean, a thought about the past. The past doesn't exist. I mean, all that there is is now. Our minds create the past by creating these thoughts and believing them. Our minds create the future by creating these thoughts and believing them. There's no more past. Now, there were conditions that led here, you know, so certainly we are not just living in an isolated moment. But the past doesn't exist anymore. It's gone. Those thoughts that are arising about the past are arising now. That's, that's what's happening in the present moment is a thought of the past arising now. Or the thought of the future is arising now. So we see, we begin to see that what's going on, the only thing that's going on is something that's happening now. This is kind of a a mind-blowing version of reality. That is the truth. Wisdom helps us to see this. And again, helps us to then have a skillful relationship. Not to say that we're like not supposed to think about the past and remember what happened, but that we recognize that it's a thought happening now. That's the wisdom piece of it. That when we recognize the experience as something happening now, there can be a skill, more skillful rel- relationship with it. We can, there's some level of choice we have about how, to, how or whether to engage with that thought. So wisdom creates that space for us to, to know this is just happening now. And with that, we also can start to see not only a thought happening now, but that a whole complex of stuff often arises based on something like a thought happening now that creates whole patterns of suffering. I had an example of this in my early days of practice, in my early months of practice. I, I don't I think I was doing much in the way of meditating, but when I first started practicing, I was interested in exploring the patterns of my mind, and so I started doing that in daily life. I started watching that anger come and go in daily life. That was my very first mindfulness practice. And started being curious about um, states of mind that were pretty habitual. Loneliness was a really powerful one for me. And so I noticed at one point Um, that loneliness was arising every night as I went to bed. And I just got curious about it, you know, just noticing it. You know, so, okay, loneliness, that's what's happening now. And, you know, after some nights of that, I began to recognize, to my surprise, one night I, I noticed when I picked up my alarm clock to set my alarm clock, that's when the loneliness started. I was like, what does that have to do with anything? I just kept kept noticing this pattern continued for a few more nights. And then one night, while I was setting the alarm clock, I had a memory of my ex-partner who had broken up with me. 
this was the source of this anger. <laughs> this this ex-partner had broken up with me. And uh, I had a memory of my partner being together with my partner at Disneyland, looking up at a marquee that had a digital clock on it in Tomorrowland. So there was a connection. I could see a connection between the what I was doing, the physical experience of setting the alarm clock and the memory that arose about being in Disneyland with my partner. And then I saw that the loneliness was arising in dependence on that memory. Oh, I'm going to be lonely forever, my rest of my life. I'm never going to get to do fun things like that again. Nobody's ever going to love me again. You know, so it's the, the, the loneliness was coming up based on that thought. So seeing we, what we start to see, well, and, and, and actually that was, that, was, that was like mind-blowing to me to just see that. But what was even more amazing was the next night when I set the alarm clock. I, of course, remembered that thought. It's like I had, it had been clearly seen. But the loneliness didn't come up anymore. It was like seeing that the mind had constructed the loneliness out of a thought that arose. It just, the mind just stopped doing that. I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to say, oh, I'm not going to be lonely or I'm not going to, I'm going to try to let go of loneliness. That was wisdom. That's wisdom that does that. Wisdom had seen that the mind was reacting to a thought constructing something based on a thought and then feeling bad about it based on what had been constructed. This kind of thing happens all over the place and we can start to see it. So when we can start to see a thought arising, you know, we're walking down the hill, we see somebody, we see, see, see a thought about that person and we might see a thought about that person and then realize we get all kinds of views and opinions and agendas and ideas about that person based on that thought. When we see that, we can just see, wow, you know, maybe, maybe we're, we're thinking that that person is um, you know, thinking something about us. And it's like, we see, wow, that's all just constructed in the mind. We have no idea what's going on in their mind. So seeing that a moment of a thought arising and how our uh, mind constructs things based on just arisings. That too is wisdom. We see, we see kind of the, the way human minds work. It's awesome. And it's humbling. Sometimes wisdom operates in a really kind of startling way. You know, when mindfulness is really uh, clear or there's a particular momentum of mindfulness perhaps, we, we're present for something and we kind of get interested. I had this happen at one point. I was, I was feeling a lot of... Um, uh, I was feeling abandoned by my teachers between part one and part two of the three-month retreat. My te- first half teachers left, much as they do here. Second half teachers were arriving, and I felt completely abandoned by my teachers from the first part. And so I was feeling that abandonment and noticing it and kind of like I'd been ta- talked, you know, people had talked about, okay, you, know, you can hold yourself, you know, compassion for yourself for these feelings. So I was like envisioning myself as a four-year-old because it felt like a four-year-old kind of abandoned energy. So I was holding myself in my mind with this energy. And at some point, this curiosity arose. like, what is this feeling of abandonment anyway? And I like turned to look at it and it was gone. It had just vanished. And I didn't, I, I actually, when I went to describe that to my next, my teacher, my new teacher <laughs> who arrived, 
I, I said, you know, I don't know how to investigate emotions because here's what happened. I said, you know, I, I was paying, you know, I was like holding myself with compassion and feeling that abandonment. And then I was like, I got curious and like, and I couldn't find it. So I must not know how to investigate emotions. And she said, does that, does that feel like you don't know how to investigate emotions or was that just what happened? I said, well, that's what happened. She said, trust your experience. That was a great lesson for me. Trust your experience. That was wisdom. Again, it's wisdom. The, the kind of mind that gets curious. What's this? Some of you may have experienced that. Wow, what's this? And suddenly it's like, it's not even there to look at anymore. That's wisdom at work. The uh, unwholesome states of mind with strong wisdom can simply vanish. And yet, I want to say, it's not, it's not that you know, you're doing anything wrong if when you turn to investigate something, I turn to investigate you know, abandonment, and it doesn't just vanish. You know, there are many, many times when that happens too. I'm just describing some of the ways that this can be felt, can be experienced. Another way that wisdom functions, wisdom operates in our mind, is by being present such that things don't arise those unwholesome states don't arise. You know, we've talked about paying attention to the presence and absence of our uh, states of mind. And in the fourth foundation of mindfulness in the Satipatthana Sutta, around this, um, like the exploration of the hindrances in particular, it talks about noticing when the hindrances are not arising. So not only the absence, it says notice, it's, some, it's kind of convoluted. It says notice the non-arising of the unarisen state of ill will. <laughs> Something like that. I can't quite remember it. But, but it's that kind of, you know, the, the, the state doesn't arise. And so there's a way that when wisdom is present, some of these unwholesome states don't arise and we can begin to recognize the non-arising of these reactive states of mind. So what are some ways that we can notice that? Sometimes this, the recognition of a reactive state not arising, it's, it's more of a, an understanding than an actual experience sometimes. And so keep that in mind here. So sometimes we, um, we understand that something is, that a, a, a reactive state is not arising because we see, you know, it's like conditions happen in our Life And some of you have talked about this. Conditions happen on retreat where in a previous retreat or if, if this thing were happening in our daily lives, we know that we would be reactive. But it's not happening. You know, it's, that, it's that space of, wow, this feels different. You know, I know that if somebody had like, you know, jumped in front of me in the lunch line like last week, I, I know that that would have been problem. I would have been a lot of aversion, but now it's just like seeing is happening. That too is wisdom at work. The the wisdom is present to prevent the non-arising of that defilement, of that reactive state. Sometimes we can also see more directly in a way um, the uh, kind of a momentum towards 
a familiar habitual pattern and then watch that momentum just wither. An example might be easier to describe this with. So um, this practice of looking, watching my anger, noticing the anger early in my practice, I was spending a lot of time noticing just presence of anger, noticing when it arose. And one day um, I was doing something and just, you know, I I wasn't even particularly trying to be mindful. I was in my kitchen, I was preparing a meal, I was cutting an apple. And and at some point, uh, while I was cutting the apple, I noticed a a thought, again, about my ex-partner. Being with my ex-partner at a fruit stand... So again, noticing this connection, seeing this conditioned nature of experience, seeing that this thought of being with my ex-partner at a fruit stand was dependent on the fact that I was seeing an apple while I was cutting it. And when that thought arose in the mind, oh, there was this, like, urge, oh, to jump on that thought and think more thoughts to get angry. It felt like this momentum of, you know, oh, just, just this habit, this, this force of habit of whenever my, my ex-partner had arrived, arise, arisen in my mind, that anger had been so close on the heels. It's like there was so much, you know, connection there that it was like this force of habit. But the mind was pretty present and it saw this momentum, so in that moment, there was the recognition, anger's not present, but there's this urge to get angry. That itself was a kind of a, 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 a mind-blowing moment. It's like, why on earth would the mind want to get angry? Because having understood in the previous several months of noticing anger, wisdom had begun to, to recognize Anger doesn't feel very good. Anger is suffering. So in that moment that the mind saw the momentum to want to get angry and knew very, very deeply from all of those months of paying attention to anger and feeling the suffering of it, the mind in that moment recognized that way lies suffering. And just... Was like, it was like reaching for a, touching a pot, you know, reaching for a pot and feeling the heat and then like withdrawing from it because you know it's dangerous. The, the body just knows, the body does that. It was that kind of just let go. That way lies suffering. And again, it wasn't something I had to try, oh, let go of that thought. It was the wisdom that said that way lies suffering. Don't go there. So that was, a very, that was a very direct recognition of the non-arising of the anger. That moment that I just described, that was the moment I got hooked on this practice. That was a, a faith moment. It was, a, a, it was, it was actually, I, I kind of sunk to my knees. <laughs> it's like, the mind can see that happen and let go and not have that just being whipped around by that pain of anger? You mean this practice can do that? I'm in. I'm in. So that, again, that's wisdom. That's wisdom at work. So that wisdom of seeing, their wisdom saw the anger not arise. Very directly saw the anger not arise. So wisdom can operate in these kind of obvious ways. You know, these ways of seeing something and watching it fall apart or seeing and feeling a space around it. And sometimes wisdom operates more slowly, kind of in the background. I've had experiences of simply, you know, working with a pattern. Again, anger. I worked with anger for years at the beginning of my practice years of like noticing it and for a period of time I recognized that trying to bring 
the mindfulness to that anger, was actually sinking me into the quicksand of the anger. And so at some point I recognized, yeah, this isn't helpful actually, trying to be mindful of the anger. So I see you anger and mm, I bow to you, but I'm going to put my attention somewhere else. You know, like, you know, you can stay in the room with me, but I'm going to put my attention on my feet. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to notice my hands. I'm going to notice here. It's just something to, to s- step aside from it. I did that for a couple of years around this pattern, this particular pattern of anger, this anger with a particular person, very strong anger. And uh, over a couple of years, that pattern just grew weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker. And then one day, it's like I, I had been noticing, oh, you know, the anger comes every now and then. Oh, I see that anger. Okay, just set it aside and did that over and over again for a long time. And then one day, I thought, wow, I haven't experienced that in a long time. I wonder what happened to it. And I couldn't find it. Even reflecting on the person that I was angry with, it was gone. I could not even conjure it up anymore. It disappeared when I wasn't looking. And this too is a way that wisdom can work. This very gradual, almost in the background kind of wisdom We don't have to bore into all of our patterns, figure them out, pull them apart. Sometimes we can just let them be, and wisdom can do its work that way too. So these moments, these small moments of seeing, of wisdom, as we can recognize them, they're a pointer for us. They're a pointer to the possibility of freedom. They're like heading us in that direction. So let yourself acknowledge them. Acknowledge these patterns, these little moments of freedom. Appreciate them. As we see that, it, it can begin to inspire a sense of confidence that yes, there is value to this practice. Recognizing the value of the practice is probably the single most important quality that will help you stay on the path. It can serve you when it feels like nothing's happening. Remembering, you know, even reflecting back how was it five years ago and how is it now? Wisdom has changed things. They just support us to carry on. Let's sit for a moment. Thank you for your attention. So we have time for walking and or you're welcome to stay sitting if you wish and uh, the chanting at nine. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org.
www.ghostbusters.org slash donate.